Hey, Internet, and good morning. You are tuning into the craziest thing you ever heard because he is risen. You're paid for. And that makes you immortal now. He's not going to be long anyway. It's all going to burn. The water, though, seals it. The food feeds it. That's Christianity, and you have found the mad Christian. Saturday morning chill. Stick around. Good morning, chillisins. Oh, look at this. We got the other camera here. It's a beautiful rainy day here in northern Illinois, and it is good to have you here remembering that the church universal cannot be destroyed no matter what the zeitgeist white noise of this present zombie age and its addictive, what, oppression and torment of all things psychological through all means of devised wicked human things, and then they are out there too. The church shall not sink in this storm. The flood has already come and gone, and only fire remains. Only fire remains, and for you, Christian, that fire is something you look forward to, because the Holy Ghost has already fallen upon your heart to make you confess that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and therefore the fires of perdition shall never truly touch you, for in the wounds of Jesus you are going to be carried to his side on that great day. So yeah, it's good to be up today, isn't it? It's good to remember that, uh, to know that this is who you are and that you are not someone else, even though you are someone else because that old carnal man, he's chilling there this morning with you too. And that's one of my questions I got for you here this morning uh, here on what, what the best radio you have ever seen. One of the questions I have for you is, uh, how's your carnal man doing? How's your carnal man? Have you talked to him recently? Have you said, hey, carnal man, what's up? It's kind of like that question. I asked this, I don't know, six months ago, at least of myself. And by now I said it a lot other places. Maybe you picked up on it. Like, how is your inner life? Do you have one? Do you have, do you have time to have an inner life along with your, your outer life? And if you do, how, how's it going? I mean, how is your carnal man doing these days? My guess is he's afraid. There's lots of things to be afraid of these days. My guess is that uh, he's, he's ashamed to speak up about things that it, well, that you want to. Like there's some level of your carnal man, like your anger, that is also kind of taken captive of your, of your Christianity. And this is where we get silenced, Right. This is where it's so easy for us to say that we're doing the right thing by holding our tongue when confronted with blasphemy. Yeah. When confronted with apostasy. Uh, when confronted with demons. We're like, oh, well, that's nice for you because we've been shamed into this. I mean, how's your carnal man doing? Who's running the show? Who's calling the shots? Do you have a carnal man? That's the real question, Christian. I mean, if you're out there and you're not in, say, the, uh, <laughs> what should we call them? Uh, the nine level deep fortifications underground, first World War Germany's borderline with the rest of Europe. You know, they had like, again, nine stories and bunkers of, of like offices and shops. I mean, they had cities underground, right? And so, um, if that is the situation in your heart with your carnal man, wherein you don't even know that he's there, when he's just burrowing underneath you, because you've never begot, like, bothered to say, hey, carnal man, how are you today? Um, well, let me suggest maybe you should try this one. I mean, it's believing that you're not just you, and then realizing that there is this you that is fully natural, born, inherited here every single day, that just about every moment of life is kind of off. Now, the Christian is blessed to not have to like live with this running the show, which is great. But that's the question I have these days as we continue to worship all manner of idols in America and seem to not notice what they're doing to us and how by worshiping them, we become like them. 
right? Um, and so, so that's going on. And I don't think then there's a lot of people saying, so, uh, Carnal Man, you're in check today, right? Let me, let me, let me actually go- <laughs> watch this sucker punch. Bam! Oh, Carnal Man, did you like that? Oh, no, you didn't, right? So mortifying the flesh, sanctification, lots of talk these days about sanctification, very little about mortification. Mortification is the sanctification in which you don't do what you want to do because what you want to do is horribly proud, right? Terribly greedy or something like that, even though it looks good to the world. Uh, that mortification, uh, it's hard to do that if you don't even know that you have this internal enemy, that wakes up on the devil's side and is intending to distract you from God's story as long as possible. Like, if you don't even know he exists, my guess is you're pretty distracted right now. Now, if you're following me and, you know, stumbling into this, you're like, amen, preacher, brother. Well, okay, yeah, 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 okay. But just keep listening too, right? Like, none of us get to grow up out of this entirely. None of us walk away from the carnal man. Nobody gets to say, yeah, they need to hear more about the carnal man. How's your carnal man this morning? I'm asking you the question because I asked it of me this morning. Uh, my carnal man, he's in more check than he's been recently. And he's really pissed and sad about it. And it's kind of doesn't feel good at all. But at the same time, um, so what? <laughs> right? And this is where, I guess, if you don't have the problem that I do with a particular complex, it might not be as clear cut for you in your brain as it is for mine. Mine has this like weird dynamic what divorce that happens spontaneously in these things called flashbacks. Don't worry about it. But like yours might be more, you know, bled together than this, but the reality is still the same that you have within you a flesh, a spiritual evil that is your body, but it's not your body. It's a corruption of your body. That is you, but it's not that you redeemed by Christ because that is alive. And this is the one that's dead. It's just still kind of moving around and talking and stuff. Zombie like, right. And then like it's inside your brain and your heart. Right. And you're there too, you know, now resurrected, new, regenerated of Jesus by his word. In fact, it is his words going into you that are like this new pattern, new formation of truth that literally physically is in your brain as electricity. If you can call electricity physical, you know, moving around, it is moving around inside your brain as a new like lightning storm of reality that then impacts the body and everything else you do, think, breathe and et cetera. Right. And so, so Jesus actually is in you, right? According to word and then sacrament. I mean, if you don't believe in the mysteries, that's just to your loss and your faith. You're not going to like go to hell probably any more than anybody else for just not believing in Jesus. But like, like you're just not getting like the, the juice every week, basically, or you don't have the, well, you know, when I pick this guy up when I pick this guy up, I, I'm not really picking up a piece of wood. Like in my head, I, I mean, maybe you can do tell me he's picking up a piece of wood. He's worshiping an idol. Okay. Okay. Iconoclast. That's cool. So we, we disagree. Don't join the sons of Solomon. But like after that, right. So I'm not thinking about a piece of wood other than that, like the piece of wood is here to remind me that there was like a real dude named Jesus who died in a tree. Like it's, it was tough, like swords, spears in the side and everything. And like, anyways, but like then, um, according to his promises after he rose from the dead, which is crazy, right? After he rose from the dead and sent like 12 dudes out in the world and like, like tell everyone this and then get them wet with water and it'll work out. And like, I got wet with that water. And this reminds me of that, like that water that those guys went out with, with the teachings of Jesus tied to it, which is mostly about his name and the glory of his name and how his name is above every name, the triune name. I know I bind it to myself today, the strong name of, and uh, you know, that, that this reminds me of that, that I am not alone because I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ in a way that is unmistakable. And so I can, 
I can even listen to some of these evangelical songs suddenly and be like, well, they're not talking about what I'm talking about. You know what, though? The Bible's talking about what I'm talking about, and the music church feels good. I am washed in the blood, and like I know where it happened. Right? And, and, and this, this little piece of wood, well, it reminds me of that. It, it pushes me back to that. It tells me the story that my flesh will not remember on its own. So the lesson I've been learning, the lesson I would give you, you know, along with... <laughs> Wear a hairband or something. You know, the lesson I would give you is what Moses said in Deuteronomy. When you walk, when you sit, when you eat, when you wake up, when you sleep, on the walls, put the story there or else you will become like the other stories. And at what point is Jesus just one God among many? All right, so we're going to do something else here. We're going to try to move into some teaching from a camera perspective. I have no idea. Oh, my goodness, I'm revealing everything. All my secrets are being seen. Okay, here we go. So let's check this out and move over here like this. And then, hmm, what, what happens? Let's see. If I do this, that didn't do anything. If I do this, nope, that didn't help. Okay, so go back to this. Uh-oh, there we go. Welcome to the best radio you've ever seen. Okay, here we go. Now, uh, you can see that. I can see that. We're going to go ahead. We're going to move this aside. Hey, look, we've even got a show outline this week. It's like it's professional and stuff. Your questions, Bible answers, and my nonsense coming up later, uh, as well as, oh, here we go, proverbial cosmology. What? How does that even work out? I'm not sure. We're going to find out today um, as we, we move through this. What I want you to do first here is look at this word. This is the word na'ar. Na'ar. Na'ar shows up with about... You know, I haven't counted them yet. I probably should. With about 25, give or take, other Hebrew words in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 through 7, which I am increasingly believing is the solution to all riddles in the universe, uh, including, you know, 42 and all this kind of stuff. But it's just a gambit. I'm studying the Hebrew for fun. And why not hypothesize that you see something no one else has ever seen before? In the meantime, you learn stuff like that Na'ar is the word initiate. Now, if you look in your New King James, your ESV, or some other some other text, you're not going to find initiate there. And let me just say, so that, you know, when I say find something others haven't found, well, when you find out, and it's not hard, it won't take you too long to see that every word that comes across in English as wisdom, just in those six verses there, every word that comes across in English as wisdom isn't, in fact, the word wisdom. There's different words for wisdom just in the first couple of sentences. It's kind of hard to know what the guy means if you can't even hear him talk, right? So the word here, uh, initiate, often translated, I think, as young man. Now, this is in, I think, verse 6 or so. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, wait a minute. I was even prepared. Check it out. Check out how I prepared. Brian's got nothing on me. Look at this. Look at this. I even sound like him. Okay, here we go. So, but I can't get it to fit. Okay. I mean, best radio you ever saw. Hey, on the radio, they're looking at stuff right now. It's kind of cool. And what you can see is Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 in Hebrew, but you only see the first half because it's split across the page. And what we're doing is we're looking for here, uh, verse 4, that's the one, uh, to give to the, here's the word pati. We've talked about this in sermons before, you may have heard me. This is the simple one normally translated, the neophyte, the ignorant, right? To give to him uh, brilliance or, or insight there. That's our mock. Okay, but we're just working our way toward, I wanted to get us to verse four. Um, 
verse 4, working our way to give to Na'ar. There it is. To give to Na'ar. Da'at, that's words, and uh, da'at, words, and u mitzma. Uh, I can't pronounce that one as well with the u on the front, threw me off, but that's okay. Um, so here we go. We're looking at this word na'ar in verse four. The back half of it says to give him something like instruction or maybe more wisdom or something. It, purpose is a good word. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, this, this na'ar, this na'ar here is not the simple one. Oh, where'd he go? It, it is not the simple the Na'ar, and let's see, and I can even do stuff like this, right? I go here, I look, I look, the Na'ar is not the simple. The simple is the ignorant. The simple is the one who doesn't know any better. The simple is the one who will become a fool if he just kind of goes. And that's everybody, by the way, right? So until you stop being simple by hearing wisdom, you are simple. And then there are levels of fool you will descend into. The person who wants to stop being simple right? Who hears to give to the simple. This is like, yes, give me that, right? That's the Na'ar. You've suddenly leapt out of the guy who walks in the crowd with the waves, wherever the fool leads, into the one who wants to see something more, uh, to give to the initiate, uh, the initiate into wisdom, something more, the rookie, the wanderer. The word is rooted to trembling. Oh, this is, oh, I got to get back to the camera here. The root is rooted to the root of the word is to tremble, to shake. One who shakes, who's scattered about, right? But that's like the rookie on the court for the first time. I mean, I golly, I mean, anytime you step on a basketball car, it's a little nerve wracking. Anytime you go on camera, it's a little nerve wracking. So, so like, yeah, the, the it, there's a shaking to like something new and and having to overcome, and that, that's the initiate. Okay, so the initiate. I just mentioned this. We're not going to go deep here because you can see that my card for Mitzma is not nearly as complete, or at least studied as my one for initiate. Um, and so this is, you know, flashcards with Fisk here on Saturday morning. And uh, like, like, yeah, it's kind of nice, right? So, so anyway, um, mitzmah, <clears throat> this is what in verse four at the end, the words of mitzmah or the word and mitzmah. Um, I, I don't know about the grammatical construction yet. I'm still really pushing on like the front end of verse four. And I'm studying this stuff at, at the rate of about one syllable per month. So <laughs> forgive me. It, I found a lot of stuff there. There's more to dig. It's amazing. So, um, so mitzmah. Uh, and I, I think the word, oh, hold on. I can even find it in the KJV. Hold on. Oh, let's see. I meant to do this today. I was like, oh, you know what? If I need the Bible, I can totally like open the Bible and put the Bible on the page. Okay, here we go. So is it there? Is it on the page? That's the question almost. Here we are. Proverbs in English. Does that work? There we go. All right. So it says, uh, wait, to give prudence to the simple. There's the simple one, an arma, prudence. That's a good word for it. And then to the young man, Knowledge and discretion. That's right. So, so the at is going to be knowledge. Moving the camera. I need a hotkey for this. The da'at is going to be from the very first word in Proverbs 1 verse 2, you have yada, uh, which is the same root word yada, knowledge and to, to, to know or to give or to, yeah, to know. So what you find now is a recycling of the term from before, which this hasn't happened much in the chapter. Bean has shown up more than, more than once and um, Musar has shown up more than once. Now we get knowledge for the second time and knowledge is tied very specifically to another idea, this, this misma again, okay? And so... The mitzmah, um, which I just had it out for this reason, which the King James uh, and New King James will translate as uh, discretion. This is a, I don't even have it on here as a list, but like 
This is a very, very complex word. If you go and you do any Hebrew study on this, you find out it's multivalent. Like it has, I mean, look at all those meanings that are tied to it. And none of them are directly tied. And the only ones that are directly tied are the three immediately around it. So that would be, that would be project, device, and purpose are all sort of in uh, the resource I rely on, which is now not right beside me is like a, uh, and a nice word study book of the Old Testament in any case. So, so the point here is though, somewhere between these three meanings, purpose, device, and project is this idea of mitzmah. So the initiate who goes to Solomon's wisdom and seeks that wisdom, what you're going to get is, believe it or not, what Rick Warren was promising everybody. That, that's ultimately what the text says. Although let's take that word purpose again and move it out of like the American business society. How much can you grow whatever you want to grow just because you feel like growing and like it's all for me and Jesus. Uh, you know, let's take it out of that and see this, the width of this word though. So you just take the English word purpose and say, that's what Christianity is about. You're really going to miss the boat here, right? And I'm not saying even that this is what Christianity is about. I'm saying this is an asset within Christianity, that once you become an initiate to Christianity, you will have purpose, whereas others do not. So Roran figured that out and then sold it, right? He sold it as a, as a sales pitch. Okay, like a toaster. I mean, and he, you can find video of him doing this. You can find me critiquing him of doing this. It doesn't really matter. You know, the point I want to make today is that like, for pity's sakes, like we got to stop letting everybody take the good words away. Like you just can't let them like say the word in a bad way and be like, well, I guess I can never use that word again. It's like the rainbow. I'm about to start wearing rainbows. I really am. And every time someone talks to me, I think, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm really going to do this, but I'm thinking about it out loud right now in front of you. Every time somebody talks to me, they're like, oh, pride. I'm going to be like, huh? What do you mean? And they just tell me and I'll just let them tell me, oh, okay. And and then if they ask, because I'm not going to offer, but if they ask, I'm like, I, I thought it was about the flood. And how God's never going to destroy the earth for all the evils done on it. I'm, I'm proud of that and stuff. So, like, <laughs> we got to stop letting them take all of our stuff away from us. You hear what I'm saying? So, again, mitzmah, purpose, to give to the initiate, the neophyte, the catechumenate. I mean, all these words, initiate. Uh, to give the initiate purpose, which is going to be what leads into projects, devices, like all manner of things that your hands are going to do are going to come out of wisdom. Now, what is also interesting is this word device, or misma, as device can be bad at times. Man has sought out many devices. Um, this, is, this is what the carnal man likes to do for himself too. So it's not as though this concept is good just by itself. It is only good as the gift of the initiate into the wisdom of Solomon, right? That is where it is good to have a purpose being given to you. And that is the promise that the book... <laughs> This is almost working. I'm like, it's like working with like a robot arm. Um, the promise that the book will deliver to you. So now, with that in mind, let's, let's jump here to a little bit of what gets delivered the further you go. The major, major shift in your mindset that is going to happen when you take the Old Testament seriously at all is you're going to see that even though Copernicus is possibly, probably right, I mean, I've never done the math or looked myself. And so since in an age of science, one should always verify the facts, I, I can't do that. And so as a result, instead, I just have to like assume, yeah, more or less we're flying around a big giant ball of gas or not. And, and it, the, this is the point. Like I actually can't see and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Who does it matter to? Whether or not the earth is moving around the sun. Now there are weather patterns, right? Uh, there are people whose specific vocations, astronauts, I suppose, right? Um, but for the average person, 
for the day-to-day walk of your life, that piece of information and that argument is a real waste of energy, a real waste of energy and spirit and thought. I mean, especially to get emotionally involved in it at all. And then especially to let it become the dominant way you view the world. So here's the point. Just because Copernicus figured out that we are probably a rock flying around a ball of heat or energy that is exploding or revealing itself in some way, um, that doesn't mean that we don't, in fact, live in a universe that looks a lot more like this than like this. Yeah, it looks a lot more like what? Uh, A half moon with two trees, one growing up and down, one toward light, one toward darkness, than uh, an eyeball and a share pole in the middle of a ball circle or whatever that looks like, you know, uh, you know, whatever a, uh, an orbital looks like, uh, which is not so different, by the way, from uh, Pythagoras. He just got the directions wrong. You can see that there if you can see the card. But what I want you to see is if you can put yourself like your body inside this picture here with the tree, right, um, and put yourself on the earth side of it, yeah, uh, wherein everything is moving toward Sheol, hell, because of the fall, right? And then also you have a mirror reflection. Not everybody does, but you have a mirror reflection on the heaven side of it, which is you in the body of Jesus, raised from the dead, justified. You put all the Reformation doctrine in it you want, okay? You should. Uh, so it, it, there's you on top. And right now you're walking in that cosmos, now, here's a really interesting thing. This heaven part, it's going to burn too. We're not talking about the heaven where the saints are like under the altar singing when we talk about this. I mean, we kind of are, like there's overlaps and stuff and who knows, wheels within wheels. But this Adamic cosmology of generational energetic dendronics, <laughs> mouthful, um, that reality, that cosmology is where you live, even your spirit, until the day that you die. Now, you also have a mirror, okay, in the heaven that is the, the Christian reality. So I, I, mis, I misspoke earlier. I said there weren't pagans in this in this circle. I'm wrong. There are pagan reflections in the heavenly sphere here too. They are just, they're, they're zombies, right? There is also what I meant to say or what I was saying earlier, I'm really talking about a different picture wherein you would see another layer of heaven, which is the new heavens and the new earth that is like, you know, Jesus comes in. Have you seen Echo? Jesus comes in and he breaks it all and then he like goes off and like he's coming back. It's going to end it all again. There's a timeline that continues afterwards, timeline that continues afterwards. So, you know, Echo, like last page of the book, it's a good book. Um, so I, I wrote it and you should buy it. It's a good book. So, uh, you know, this this picture here is only on one side of that eschatology. Um, but then uh, it doesn't have a way of like showing the, the heavenly Christian. So what we're dealing with here again is first article. And that's where I misspoke earlier. It is a first article reality that you exist in heaven and earth with regard to the spiritual sphere of human life, even for pagans. Right. That like in heaven in Old Testament talk is kind of where the demons are. Now, again, our nomenclature gets a little broken in English and heaven's being asked to do way more as a single word than is fair whatsoever for how many words it's trying to catch and how many ideas it's trying to catch from the Old Testament that are really distinct ideas. 
But let's just stick again with, so this cosmology of, of the cause here, you see this generational energetic dendronics is the idea that you live in a world in which where your feet stand on earth impacts where your feet stand in heaven because you are a spiritual person. And by heaven, I mean uh, the unseen world around you, all things visible and invisible. Uh, there's another side of it going on around you in which light is fighting against the darkness, right? But then the earth side uh, is in decay because of that darkness. Now, where you are then in the middle and what you see around you becomes far more important than in this outer picture. If this is your worldview, if this is how you see who you are and how you see, you don't have any of that balance and foundation to stand on. All you got is sort of like a, a, a feudal angst, maybe? Heliogravitational string theory of infinite universes. It's all working out so well, fellas. I, I'm fine, aren't you? Let's go have a drink. Like, like it's, it's, not, it's not that great, right? It's not that great. So that's the idea here, is that the initiate into Solomon's wisdom is going to find, that was pretty cool that all lined up like that, is going to find that the worldview that they have assumed is wise is, in fact, a lot of sophistry, even if it's true. And that's the amazing thing, is that simply having a true fact does not make for a true theory. Huh? Simply having some knowledge does not make it knowledge which gives you mitzmah. Huh? Yeah, true, true mitzmah. Uh, understanding where you really are is what that's building toward. So, you know, the Bible is cosmological, ancient, rooted in a created but fallen reflectivity. Ooh, track that later. But it's called the heavens and the earth, right? This is what God created on the first day. And we want to understand that we exist in a contemporaneous reality with a fallen heavens, a fallen heavens, in which there's also a light heavens that's going to go through the last day with us in some way. And we're not revealed really anything about that. So, you know, count it speculation, even that far, I suppose. Um, you know, so space and time, and the more you can, you know, if you think about your life in terms of space and time, these are not biblical terms. They're not biblical categories. Uh, and they are intentionally empirical. That is, they're very modernly pragmatic and atheistic terms to quantify your human experience or religion since that's what it is um, as opposed to things like day night today tomorrow earth heaven you see how the simple cosmology of early genesis which solomon is going to point us point you back to genesis if you take him seriously because torah is what he loves just like david his father um, and so you know these categories day night today tomorrow earth heaven versus space time right is that's bible uh versus pagan destructive zeitgeist of the death age in which we in which we currently dwell so you know it's it's about how you see it's the filter which is another <laughs> oh i threw it all away yeah a filter it's a filter see that's in the middle i finally it took all these other words and i think that what the initiate's gonna get first where's my initiate card i love my card so much um there it is so what the initiate's going to get is less, uh -oh, less purpose and more a filter. I mean, there is purpose. It's Jesus' purpose. And that filter by which you get to like read everything, um, it's a new life every day. He is risen. I'll be right back. All right. We're going to head back to uh, our, our other shot here. 
some more outdoor action going on. Still rainy, a couple people driving by. No one has yet stopped by to watch the show live. Um, I don't expect that to happen soon. There is no amplifier or anything like that set up yet. I clearly need to raise this for my next sick. Um, but uh, consider it an invitation. I mean, uh, the show is live. And I'm going to try to do this as much as I can. So, you know, just drive by. Have an ice cream cone. Wave at me. I'll try to put you on camera. You can shout out the world. And, and why not? Why not move to Rockford, Illinois and just live in this neighborhood where you have a great church up the street and the potential to build for the future uh, as a community so forgotten by those who don't want the refuse they ship here from other places that, in fact, you can care. It's it's possible. And you're not going to get like paraded or fired, right? So, um, you know, if any, if not, you know, drive on by, wave, wave at us and whatnot here at Rockford. But uh, it, beautiful morning. And your questions and Bible's answers. Oh, oh, coming your way. That's not what I want to do. This is different. This is different. Okay. Welcome to New Things in All Times. I wanted to go to this. There she be. There she be. This looks better. All right. One more thing. It'd be nice to like, the one thing about Ecamm, I love Ecamm, so don't hear me, don't tell me, send me more suggestions. It works, and I'm not going to try to learn something new when I'm this dumb. <laughs> um, but uh, it, the one complaint I really have about it is there's no preview. Like most video processing stuff, you have like, where, where am I looking? Right, You have like a preview window, right? So like like you have what you're seeing, and you have what you're going to see or want to see. And Ecamm doesn't do that because you're just kind of zooming, I guess, or something. But everything else is super intuitive, but but none of that. And so it means you can listen to me talk about it. Okay, there it is. Mr. Mad Christian says, Matt, hola, I say back to him. Considering what public schools are are, be, are, well, are forced to teach our kids, I would like for you to speak about education and how Lutherans should respond, like build a high school, homeschool, or other. Hope to see you in Chicago at the Issues Making the Case conference. I know you are not speaking, but you told Pastor Wolfmiller you might come. Thanks for your time, Pastor Fisk. Yeah, I, I've, I'm thinking about coming. Um, I don't know that I'm going to. Uh, this summer has been one of those times where I increasingly realize there's enough on the plate as it is, and I'm just going to keep eating my plate. <laughs> and then maybe, maybe the plate will eventually have more space. But right now, you know, so I don't know. I may on a last, as last minute whim try to get up there for something, but um, I'm going to instead like publicly intentionally aim for the year following. I'll go ahead and announce this right now. One year from this year's issues, making the case provided our Lord does not return, which I would prefer, um, and provided that they continue with making the case and that they're able to continue. And then it's not all shut down by some of the new Gestapo tactics to try to get more of the wealth looted from our country while we just watch TV. Um, I will be trying to host a, an art exhibit. Uh, uh, it will be the night before uh, the event, and it will be uh, welcome, like an open house. Uh, and I, the the theme will be a combination of things, um, but it, it is going to definitely reflect uh, my journey of faith and uh, my journey uh, in the complexity of American psychosis. psychosis. Uh, and uh, yeah, for for what it's worth, I'm going to announce. I'm going to try to do that a, a year from now, though. And uh, art gallery uh, exhibit uh, auction, um, cheap starting prices. So, you know, you walk out of there something cheap for cash um, that's on a canvas and can look nice and can hang somewhere. So that's my hope, at least. Maybe I suck. I don't know. We'll find out. And uh, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, and then you bid as high as you want because if you feel like it, you, you are certainly welcome to. Um, and it, again, the, the goal would be to do that about a year from now. But this year, don't plan on seeing me there. But I'll be here every Saturday, give or take. You could drive on by and wave and, you know, maybe afterwards I'll sit and talk with you since you came. <laughs> you know, so uh, Matt says on a bunch of other stuff, though, right? Away from issues, making the case, public schools, education, should we build? 
Now, it is fortuitous that we have only, um, can I, oh, sorry, now I'm going to try to do two things at once and turn myself this way and turn this this way. There we go. Um, it is fortuitous that just this last week, weeks, uh, A Brief History of Power, Two White Guys, my other podcast with Dr. Adam Kuntz of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, really kind of, it's our podcast, but you know, he's, he's the brains and I'm the color, you know? Uh, so like, uh, we're talking about education, we're talking about education. So if you want to listen to something that is a truly thought through conversation from a truly thought through guy, um, with me just throwing stuff in sometimes, uh, that's where you really want to go on this issue. And they have been released as, as kid prison one has come out, I believe uh, kid prison two, uh, I don't know if that came out Thursday or if that's coming out next Thursday. And I believe we have some other education ones recorded and coming up. Um, but we did so many ahead. I don't remember where everything is right now, right? Like I was doing work before and now it's all kind of happening. So, um, but the point is like right now and right around now, the trajectory of a brief history of power is a deep dive over like five episodes on the history of education in America across like flat, the history of education in America, period. Where did it come from? Do you know it's all Yankee? Crazy that. Anyway, I mean, it's not really when you know the lizard people's story and all. They weren't always lizard people, probably. But but anyway, the point being, right, education in America is a, is a very complex and long-winded topic that everyone has an opinion about based upon what they know right now and see on TV. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of I'm leery to answer this question on my own. Like with Dr. Kuntz there and his credentials behind him, because uh, credentials matter to many people, um, I, I'm a little more willing to like be like, okay, like I think this, I've thought this for a long time, but he's got the research. <laughs> you know, I've just got like what I see and what I see and it all makes sense and I add it up and that's the zeitgeist. You know, and, and he's like, I'm digging with facts and math and contemplating the engineered structure of the universe and may tell you how it functions, right? So we're just working at it from completely different angles. And again, I'm hesitant to voice something beyond what he has said. Um, and yet also, I, I, I will, I will say what I think. But if you're going to now, if you're watching right now, what I'm going to say next, or you come in, and you're going to go like beef about my view on Sunday school or education or whatever, will you do me a favor and go listen to those five hours of serious long form dialogue with an elite intellectual of our age um, before you just tell me I'm just blathering, okay? Can you, can you do that for me? Because um, if you can do that, then I can answer this question. All right, so consider. So we're going to go at it from that one, that end now. Uh, considering what public schools are are being forced to teach our kids, I would like for you to speak about education. How Lutherans should respond. So the direct question is here is is not just about education in general, but how should Lutherans respond to what's being done in public schools? Now, before I can answer that, I think I have to go to the left field for a minute and remind everybody that we are not the same. I understand that for, what, 100 years even? Probably not. 70 years post-World War II, we have been programmed by daily programming, which we all tune in for, to believe we're all like each other and that where you are is like where I am. They even go and like put stores in our towns that look just like the ones in other towns so we think everywhere is the same. Run out of business, the other stores, you know, is what it is. Um, capitalism is a thing. The other store's got to compete somehow. I mean, pivot, pivot, you know, uh, but that's a different topic. Okay. Uh, 
and gather my thought here. Um, with the religious tenor that is increasingly taken, you're going to hear the worst stories. So the story I heard this week, and this is, I don't have a news source, whatever news source this guy was listening to, who knows what kind of clickbait it was. But he told me, do you know what they're teaching the kids in public schools now? They're teaching them when they're six years old to masturbate. I saw it on the news. I don't know what news he's listened to again. I don't even know if it's true. It doesn't surprise me if it is true. Because if it surprises you, you're not watching. And you're waiting for someone who's not you to do something about it. Huh? And, and, and by do something, I mean um, pray. <laughs> you know, repent. Um, uh, call for Jesus' aid against this vile Sodom and Gomorrah reality that's going to burn these shores. Because that's how it works. I mean, you're watching Europe. Are you watching? So, again, try to gather my thoughts back. Um, uh, there's there's too much on this topic, which is why I'm pausing. Right? Is I, I'm really uh, not wanting to misspeak, but in such a time then, where oh, that's why I don't want to forget. There it is. So in such a time, though, you see that horrid thing, but this is, this is what's so important to remember. I just gave you that really bad piece of news, right? And I, and I should have been better. I wish I had been better at, at turning directly into this point so I wouldn't have left you hanging on it. Um, that's one place if it happened, maybe more, but it's one place. And then even there, it's the news in one place, which reflects a certain spin on the, the, the like official statements in that place which is generally going to be different from what actually goes on from the superintendent's perspective in that place which is going to break down into a bunch of different things going on on the bottom level which is where again to think that i could answer a question about public education as if it's a thing i think the phrase kid prison helps a lot i think the idea of a concentration camp helps a lot because then it's not a question at the same time if America is still America where you are and all your neighbors still like football and hot dogs and they treat each other well and they're going to be fine because they're self-sufficient and want to be and that's your city or that's even maybe your your section. I'm not going to say state anymore. Your sectionality, then, then that's all great. And so maybe the public school is one where you need to stay in it and continue to fight against what is already being resisted some and could be resisted more, knowing you're probably fighting a losing battle, but that's the world. Ah, so, so like, it doesn't have to be a losing battle for your life just because it's a losing battle for history and the epoch of collapse. Ah, so, so, right? So, um, so I just can't answer it that, that clearly and say, well, if you're in public school, you better get out now. Um, it's, it's not that easy. The more you can see uh, that it is, it's a buy-in for a certain kind of life. And if you're buying in for that kind of life, as a Christian who's going to be a, uh, an independent-minded Christian first, everything else second, because that's who your tribe is, and you have a tribal elder or head, who's going to stand like that, you can go to public school. I mean, you can live with the Samaritans, you know, um, 
don't worship their gods. That's the trick, right? And if you don't think it's a god, then how do you not worship it? That's a trick there too. So, I mean, this is kind of it. I mean, what education, education. What is education? We've been talking about, I mean, I've asked uh, Kuntz this question because the word gets used so cavalierly and it generally means like a, like a, a guild now, right? Like a, um, I'm losing the other word, but uh, uh, a group of people who uh, are going to work together to protect their own interests, right? So it's a lobby. <laughs> Education is a lobby more than it is anything else. Uh, but the idea that Kuntz has pulled out is really uh, more akin to formation, right? Uh, that what happens, it just what happens is children of humans are formed largely but not entirely because they have proclivities called nature. Uh, but they, part of that nature is to be formed with those proclivities by interaction with the images and words that they are in. And so forming somebody is what education is. It's going to happen no matter what. There's a difference between a good education and a bad education, a, a, a wise one and a foolish one. Right. Um, and then so now to jump to something like Lutheran high schools. OK, well, your, your category is like still living in 1927. Your, your category is looking at the world as if things are going to keep going just like they are. And, you know, they might. I'll put it as a 50 50 right now. They might go just as they are. Um, they also might not. They might go a lot like the rest of history, where when civilizations collapse and deflate, inflate, slash destroy their currency over the course of a while, while the elites loot and it becomes third world, um, things don't stay just as they are. Things get really, really hard. It's not hard like in the movies. It's hard like where you have to sit and cry because it hurts because you don't know what to do. That's a very potential future for a lot of people on these shores, especially if someone does something really clever. You know, like, I don't know, blow up bridges that we can't afford to build anymore. Ah, did I say it? I don't want it to happen. I'll pray against it. Lord Jesus, protect our bridges. Can we, can we build an economy in which we can fix our bridges if people attack them? You know, we, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the thing, right? I mean, I don't want to give the bad guys ideas, but we are vulnerable as the day is long. And uh, it is terrifying to behold in my mind for, uh, from a military perspective. I mean, I've been just thinking about my own neighborhood, right? And just how do we bind together with a neighborhood watch kind of idea, right? And, but the more I think about that, the more the vulnerabilities of the American populace, just as a people, uh, are apparent to me. And vulnerable in what way? Against guerrilla warfare. We are incredibly vulnerable to guerrilla warfare. A guerrilla group who figured out how to base themselves in hidden places in the boons, right? Anywhere in America or multiple places in America, which, by the way, there are Islamic camps that do this, often with inmates, I've heard. Um, not kidding. Um, you have to go search that one. But again, it's, yeah, I've heard it. Um, uh, if they were to do that, which I've heard they are, um, and they go guerrilla, that, I mean, this is one thing, but how would we stop that? Our police force? I mean, maybe, maybe. Um, in a time like this, uh, with a shutdown, uh, where focal points are on what we want them to be on from the higher ups, and we don't want to, no, those things don't even exist over there, those riots. So, like, you hear what I'm saying? We're vulnerable. That's my only point. I'm not saying do any of this stuff, but don't do this stuff. We don't want this to happen. I don't like being vulnerable. But I am as an American. I am. So, to me then, seeing that pre-Third World War slash pre 
back to reality economic collapse. It can't remain this unbalanced for long. Food's going to be harder to get someday again. Um, that tells me that education is not so much about this or that structure that we build. It really doesn't matter what the structure is. What matters is the tribalism of it. What matters is the ritual of it. I mean, in this way, others out there, I mean, anyone can do this. It doesn't even matter if it's Christian. What you need is ritual. What you need is unity. What you need is religion somehow together. And then you go wherever you go because you are who you are. See, we've, we've outsourced all of this to uh, the programming. Don't miss it. I mean, Sunday school too, right? I mean, let's go sit and watch a movie. <laughs> Flannel boards. Goodness, I was so, anyway. Um, and we just treat the kids like they're dumb and it's sad. Uh, they're much smarter than they are. And then we are uh, in many ways. So, so like to, again, try to answer your question. I've, you know, uh, it's just not that easy. Um, would I start a Lutheran high school right now? Um, if I could, yeah, I probably would. Uh, would I start a Lutheran grade school right now? Um, maybe. Um, uh, preschool? Probably not. Um, uh, maybe. Uh, would I start a college right now? I, I am. So oh, I might as well put this one out there too. So, um, I've offered this to one person. This is not an open carte blanche. You have to apply for this. Um, but if you want to move to Rockford for one year to study the Bible under my tutelage as a singular discipline in which you'll get basically an hour a week with me as a class one-on-one to study whatever you want to want, want to learn in the Bible. I'll give you resources. You live in the congregation. You're just a good person in the congregation. Um, I'll give you a certificate at the end of the day, at the end of the year. It's uh, the Jonathan Fisk Bible School. I don't know. whatever. You, I don't know what to call it yet, but yeah, uh, the first footprint of a long-term university system. I mean, well, you know, we got to start somewhere. So, hey, I, I offer that out to one guy. You need to apply through revis.com slash contact because I'm, I'm not just going to let you come like mooch off me. So I don't know why it stopped, which really is sad. Um, I don't know where it stopped. Um, so I said a bunch of stuff and I'm just going to not go back and try. And if it didn't come out, then it'll come out later at a later time. I may or may not have been talking about the potential for a one year Bible school experience here in Rockford. But, um, if you heard that great, if you didn't, oh, well, um, and we're just going to go back to, um, what that led to. Okay. So what, what I figured out through rambling (laughs) offline, apparently, um, what I figured out, uh, is that, um, no, don't lose it, Fisk. If I were to start anything right now, I would not accredit it. I would, I would go intentionally. We are not going to be accredited. We have no desire to be accredited. We're not going to play in any system which requires accreditation. We're going to trust that our credentials will be good enough that they'll be anybody who goes through whatever we do will be able to figure out how to get into whatever system out there because it's just paperwork and a few extra bucks usually. And so it's, I mean, it's like it's like getting divorced in the Catholic Church, right? You just got to pay for the annulment. And and so you know, it's just a matter of paperwork. And, and in that regard, um, anything I would do to educate would involve rejecting the the concept of accreditation as currently in existence now that's not to say that if in, i'm in an institution where you are already in that game then you got to play that game <clears throat> i'm saying if i start a new one i'm not starting a new one in that game because that game is killing us and we need to get out of the game um now some may survive in the game some may be able to leap through the game out of the game so i mean i hear river forest is trying hard i hear wyoming's got new things in the water yeah this is all wonderful right um the, the point again 
if you're going to ask me this question, I'm going to say, until we lose accreditation, anything you do is just feeding the beast at the end of the day. Um, I hope you got some of that question. Goodness, that was sad. I hate losing stuff like that. It makes me makes me feel like a bad person. I don't know why. I should have known better than to make the internet fail. Um, why would I make the internet fail in my own show? It's so awful of me, since I'm God and all, right? God, the idolatry, the idolatry, you see it? Right there, right there. I'm not even looking at myself. I'm over there. Um, all right, so Andrew says this. Pastor Fist, mad Christian, what's up? Uh, I was wondering why when Jesus was blaspheming the, was mentioning, thank you, why when Jesus was mentioning blaspheming the Holy Spirit, that he differentiates between blasphemies toward himself being able to be forgiven, but not against the Spirit. Since they are each one person of the triune God, what is the significance of the differential of the severities in blaspheming the two and why? God bless. That's a really fantastic question. And I had a note card I want to kind of look at as I think about answering this one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's so here's my note, my great genius, right? It says, it says, the spirit is not Jesus. Right? So, so what is the significance of the differential of severities in blaspheming the two and why God bless each is one person of the triune God, right? So, by each one being one person of the triune God, they are thereby, and this is the only real meaning of the word person at all, they are thereby not each other. And so, what you do to one, you don't do to the other. Kind of, sometimes, when that's the case. It's the mystery. God is a mystery. Hmm, Yeah. Uh, And so, but uh, trying to apply this more specifically here, it gets really easy to see when you have Jesus being crucified. That's not the Father. That's not the Spirit. The Father is actually like rejecting him and like driving the nails in with all his bloody wrath. And the Spirit is departing from him, leaving him. So he says, I'm abandoned. God help me, which is what a good man would say, even if he was abandoned by God, knowing that God had promised that he would restore all things past his foresight and experience, which Jesus knew because he'd read the scriptures. He's telling everyone about it. No one believed him. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um. So the Spirit didn't die on the cross, and the Father didn't die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. So your question, um, you can blaspheme the Father, you can blaspheme Jesus and be saved. You cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit and be saved. How's that work? Um, I'm going to have to like beg speculation at this point, just a touch. And uh, we're not going to run off and look at the text, although that would help. I just I don't have that prepared for us today. Um, But I think it's as simple as uh, understanding the roles, the roles, the economy of these persons, okay? So the economy of the Father was blasphemed the moment we fell. The economy of Jesus is to be blasphemed by us until he regenerates us and to be blasphemed by those who remain unregenerate because they continue to blaspheme against the Spirit, right? So clearly, blaspheming against Jesus and blaspheming against the Spirit and this connection cannot be the exact same thing. Well, how can that be and how would I know where it is? Well, you're trying to read and do a mystery here, but the context will help you, again, without going to it. The context, if I'm not mistaken, is that Jesus is being accused of having a demon. He is being accused of being Satan. And not just Jesus, 
right? Not just the man Jesus being Satan, not just the Son of God Jesus being Satan, but the Holy Spirit of God's New Testament promised proclamation and electing word was being called demonic. And what Jesus is saying is that if you think that the Holy Spirit is Satan, then you will die in that unbelief and go to hell. So how do you know if the Holy Spirit is Satan? Well, I mean, do you believe Jesus is risen from the dead? Right? This is where blasphemy in Jesus is more than just a little thing, right? So, so like, blasphemy in Jesus is anything you say that's not what he said. He's your king. If you misrepresent him even a little bit, you blaspheme. So we're all blasphemers. That doesn't mean you should be okay with it and try harder. I mean, frankly, you should get into it more. Be more concerned about what your tongue does. But blasphemy in Jesus is something that happens, and we strive to repent and come through it because the Spirit by the words from Jesus, pushes us back, right? It's when then you're at that moment wherein the Spirit has convicted you, where you do have this moment of belief, and then if you choose at that moment to walk away, to reject it, to say no. I mean, again, uh, when you call what is in Jesus the devil, um, you got a you got a different problem, right? The Buddha, <laughs> not Buddha, uh, Dalai Lama right? and, and, and his ilk, you know, those, those like uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, you know, people who uh, borrow from Jesus plenty. Um, see, th- their borrowing of Jesus as an idea is the blasphemy, and that can and will be forgiven. They're not believing he's the Christ. That's the blasphemy against the Spirit, and that will not be forgiven. Now, if they are regenerate in this life, that's forgiving them the way it's meant to happen, right? So again, what Jesus is saying is that when the Spirit comes, if your moment is missed, your moment is missed. If you decide to reject him, then he's under no bearing whatsoever to give you like multiple second chances to regenerate. Or more than that, you don't get chances. He's under no bearing whatsoever that after he's regenerated you with enough eyes open to see your sin and see his salvation and say, amen, and you go, no, I mean, he's got no he's got no justice toward you. He owes you nothing, he, but he didn't begin with. Now he doubly doesn't, right? Double vow. Right? He owes nothing. And that's the idea here. And so Christians who worry about this, which I answer this question probably every three to four months, I think, maybe every six, you worry about this because you're in a, di- you're a diagnostic. You're in a filter for the Bible that's just completely backwards. You believe that you need to please God. I know you think you're saved by grace, but you still think like today is going to be based upon how good you are and how good you are is how it will all go. Now, to be sure, the horse is prepared for battle and you ought to know the state of your flocks. That is true. But deliverance is of Jesus Christ. And when the dark weather comes, the light and the promise, well, that's what will get you through it. Huh? So to believe that you're a son adopted never to be removed, that the baptismal promise is the guarantee of this. And even if you've had to have one of those very weird adult fall away and come back experiences where you are like King David and you are regenerate and doing well and then you end up unregenerate and sleeping with people and murdering their husbands and covering it up in conspiracy and then you repent of that and you believe again and do well, like like even if that's the walk that the Lord has your feet walk through this life, You walk that walk in the certainty of being David. How did David fall down? What did David know? What did David already know? Why was he a man after God's own heart before he repented about Bathsheba? Because he knew 
that he was not going to be left or forsaken, that his circumcision meant he could walk before a giant, not with a sling and a stone, like everyone in the songs wants to talk about, with a name, a name above every name. That's who you are baptized. Into the name of, into the name of, I know the Baptist, ah! yeah, the name of, it's the name. You all praise the name, but you won't believe in it. Not when it shows up in your life. That's got to hurt. I know it does. It hurts most, not when it's coming from my mouth, but when you're out there trying to carry that heart on its own, you got nothing to cling to but a piece of wood. <laughs> I don't cling to a piece of wood. That's holding the air. Remember, we are beggars. We are beggars. We are beggars. Uh, so, so like, dude, God bless you. Uh, you have not blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. To do that is to say Jesus is a demonic, uh, wicked thing that must be purged and scourged from the earth. I mean, not a lot of people really get to that point short of just ignorance, right? Um, and most people aren't really voicing that. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's so, it's there because look at who's talking to him and what they say, right? They are rejecting him and he's saying this is your one chance. And so once you reject the words I speak, um, it, my salvation is still good for you. <laughs> no tulip, nope, nope, nope. My salvation is still good for you. The election stands, but you have chosen to not receive. You've chosen to not receive. All right, so um, thanks for the question, Andrew. Moving forward here. What time is it? Oh, you know what? Take a little break. We will be right back. Stick around. There is a time to break down and time to build up, time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance, time to embrace, time to lose, Time to tear, time to sow, time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace. That time, that time's always called today. Always called today. Welcome back to the Saturday Morning Chill. I'm the Mad Christian uh, coming to you live from Rockford, Illinois. Best radio you never saw. Uh, Cafe Soleil says this. He says lots of really good things. Good questions. I've seen him in the side comments today as well, uh, Cafe, and so those will probably show up next week. As always, if you want to ask more questions, you can put them in the side comments. I've got so much going on back here just trying to like stay entertaining that I'm not really able to engage the sidebar much, and I don't have you know the funding to pay a guy full-time. We've got a lot of great people that are there all the time. So you should just know, if you put a question there, it's going to show up eventually on the screen somewhere else um, in a different show, yeah, probably, including Super Chats, unless I happen to catch them and think they fit right where we are. <clears throat> And then also, more normally, if you want to have a question on the show, send it to revfisk.com slash contact, where you can, while you're there, sign up for Mad Mondays, the best newsletter that you don't get yet. You need to get it. It'll, it'll put an end to almost every other news source that you have. Uh, it is the way to untether and still stay connected to the things that matter to a Christian. It's free, revfisk.com slash newsletter, although we're working on its own its own site here. Got some got, got some good plans coming your way uh, with Mad Christian Mondays and and the news source, Shadow Broker, Frisbee the Hand, and whatnot. Well, speaking on that, okay, it, it, first off, if you haven't joined the Discord, us to chill, you should, but w- when you do, or as you do, or if you want to do it through contact, do you want to write for Mad Mondays? Would you like to write for Mad Mondays? Here's what we're looking for, though. We're not looking for Monday. We are looking for once every month or three, deep dive. Like, you're the pro. You've been studying this forever. Nobody listens to you. 1500 words you don't get paid but we'll send it out yeah and and then maybe have it behind a paywall <laughs> which i guess as a writer you'd get behind the paywall for free that sounds about right we're still hashing this all out paywall is not for me by the way <clears throat> just so you know everything i do continues to be run through patreon 
Uh, and then uh, I'm, I'm beginning something else, but I'm never going to ask you for money for it. I only ask you for money for, for this. Um, but Mad Christian Mondays, I will continue to work for and do for free, but we, we are really are attempting to split the brand now a little bit into a second um, reality, uh, one which can possibly grow into a, a bigger and true news source someday uh, and which has that, say, nonprofit capacity on its own. And uh, to do that, uh, some of the discussion has been about going behind a paywall for extras. So Mad Christian Mondays, that's always the freebie, um, but the extras, and I don't, it's all discussion still, um, but blah, 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 you should sign up. Because Mad Christian Monday is, is, is where you want to be. You got to get to Discord. Get with us and chill on Discord. Um, it is, again, the network you didn't even know you needed. And it'll be the last one you need. And then eventually you're just going to turn it all off and untether and walk away. And you feel pretty good about it because you're moving to Rockford at that point. So, ha! Um, Cafe Sola says this before, right? We got one from him in the chats and we got one from him uh, from, from last week, I think. How does it benefit the Antichrist to be pro-life? This is such a funny question. I love this. Did I grab the wrong one? I did grab the wrong one. It was D. Okay. Um, how does it benefit the Antichrist to be pro-life? So what this has to do with here, we're, we're going to go back here for this one. This is, this is fun. What this has to do with is my contention, which if you are a Lutheran who subscribes to the Book of Concord of 1580, you must contend this with me. You're not allowed not to, or you are a Cotanus subscriber. Uh, by that, it means you're not a Lutheran according to all forms and manners by which anyone who is in the LCMS talks, which, you know, whatever, but, like, if you're in the LCMS, like, no, you really don't get a choice, okay? Um, and that would go for Wells, too, frankly. And and most other Lutherans, except for those few of, like, uh, what, Scandinavian descent that never picked up the formula. But even for them, even for them, this is still, like, at, at the pretty pinnacle peak of this. And more than this, this is something, like, all the Baptists used to agree about. It's something that, like, all of the Reformed used to agree about, all the Methodists. Like, everybody knew this. Everybody agreed with this idea that the Pope is the Antichrist. It was such a unifying truth. It, it's sad we didn't spend more time being unified around it and like intentionally saying, so the real goal of Protestantism is to reform the Catholic Church and that the way to do that is by not leaving even when they kick you out. <laughs> yeah. um, instead, what we've done is we've all just fractured, done our own thing. And of course, you know the history, you can find it. But my contention is not that we're going to all get together and sing Kumbaya and be Care Bear Stare. My, my, my con- contention is, is that we can stand more firmly where we are when we remember that we're not entirely alone, right? And so therefore, when we can all remember, especially as LCMS Lutherans, that the Pope is the Antichrist and that this is what we believe and that our entire existence as a church is to call him out and reform the true church, which he holds the sword he holds power of keys over by virtue of the sword, right? So he has taken the keys and the sword. This is the entire claim, or you might say he has both swords, the sword of, of uh, the church. It's kind of a bad way to talk, though, or in platonic garble, I think. But, but the sword of, of the right hand, the sword of the left, or definitely in platonic garble when we would do that. But uh, biblically speaking, he has the, he has the rod uh, and he has the keys, right? He has the rod and he has the keys. Uh, he claims right over the entire earth by the rod, that's by by the sword, you know, as you would just kind of normally think of it. And then he climbs it by right of the keys, which is um, uh, you know the the ability to unlock heaven, uh, to create jubilee, to to forgive sins or to retain sins, uh, a power indeed given to the church. But he claims that he has the only right of that, and he not only claims that he has the right to both of these things, the rod and the keys, but then he defends his right to the keys by the rod. These marks and many more make it very evident that the Pope takes his seat in what is evidently the head of the Church of Christianity on earth and claims to be its God. He works it for himself, and this is all without bringing up Epstein's Island. I mean, right? 
I mean, right? So, like, I think, generally, it would behoove us to study this more, and, and we would find it just to be, like, the most unifying thing. It wouldn't make us hate Catholics more. The Catholics don't like their pope. We just have to figure out how to, like, be nice to Catholics and not tell them they have to be like us. Just reform them where they are and then let them be Lutherans in, in Rome. Why not? You know? Um, they get the supper. They get baptized. Oh, they wouldn't be under an Orthodox pastor all the time. Yeah. Have you, have you visited churches? Um, so, we, we were talking about <laughs> this question. That's right. That's right. So, your question then about, so is about how I, I have made the claim, but you're supposed to agree with me, that, 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 <laughs> that the Pope is the Antichrist. And like we had Wolf Mueller on last week to do the Man of Lawlessness stuff in Second Thessalonians 2. So go look at that from last week. If, this is, if you're like, what is this? Like, like last week's show. Um, why then, the question from Cafe is this. So if this is true, why is Rome still a pro-life organization? Wouldn't the Pope want to have it not be pro-life? Well, an angel of fire and darkness that wants to be taken for an angel of light must put on camouflage. It's, it's not like he can get up there and say there is no Jesus yet. Um, but it's more like the power that has accumulated over 2,000 years of history and wealth and global influence uh, has so congealed into one place uh, wherein we know for a fact there is a condemnation of justification by grace through faith wherein we know that there is from insider uh, whistleblowers which I guess we just don't believe whistleblowers like as a principle in America or something because um, it's conspiracy theory every time but you know whistleblower uh, that, that's made it very clear this entire thing is about a sex slave trade that is international. It's been running for a long time, it would seem. Uh, so, uh, you know, they don't want to mess up what they got going. I think, I think it's that easy. They have the church. They have, they have all these willing disciples who most of them quite thoughtlessly continue to just assume this is the way it has to be. And this is the way Jesus left it because their priest tells him so. He's a nice guy sometimes. And so like those who are there, there are some, I mean, Rome is so wide. So you have what I just said, you have people who are very committed and only worship in Latin. And you have people who are very committed and sing praises to Jesus with their CCM. It's just a wide, wide, dark side version of Protestantism. And they claim they're unified. They're so very not. Um, so again, if the Antichrist is going to move the actual church away from the truth, he's not going to do it with a snap of his fingers. He's going to do it by guile and subtle might. And so let me suggest to you that the Pope, this Pope, is not pro-life. Let me suggest to you that the previous Pope was pro-life. And the previous one, I think he was probably pro-life too. But around them and under them, there, there's a lot more going on. I mean, technically they sit on the throne under military guard, 
with a bunch of other people, <laughs> you know? So like, you know, and, and um, they all believe it. That's, that's one of the real problems. You know, the Pope who sits there, he actually believes he's Peter and he's supposed to discern new truths for the church. And that as long as you have a living prophet who's supposed to come up with the new answers rather than just repeat the old ones, um, well, you're going to end up with this kind of a problem. The Antichrist who takes a seat in the church who you have to listen to just because he's him rather than because of what's being said. That, so how, how does it benefit him? You know, don't shake the apple tree if you don't want it to fall. I, I think that's that's as simple as it is. Um, there's another side to this, though. I mean, I wrote down where my card was. Um, I, and why does that matter? Why would you need to know I wrote it down? Um, how does it benefit the devil to be pro-life? If you ask the question that way. <clears throat> so do you realize if you say, how does it benefit the devil to dot, 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 what you're trying to do is psychoanalyze the devil. I will suggest that's just tomfoolery. They'll do it. Don't even try. Yeah, waste your time. Insanity on the way. <laughs> you know, uh, back off. It ain't the right question. Uh, it, it doesn't matter why the guile is there. Not unless that's been brought to your attention, right? Uh, God will bring to your attention what you need to be concerned about. Why the hidden things are what they are, that, that's, not, that's not for us. So instead, the better question is, uh, why are pro-life Christians so underrepresented in the pro-life movement compared to pro-life Catholics? And why, given how represented pro-life Catholics are in the movement, are we not doing other, what, uh, sectional work to take back and destroy, that is, close by legal, completely legal, just with the laws of the, we're not going to do it illegally. Like you get a Marion who doesn't want an abortion clinic and you get a council that doesn't want an abortion clinic because you have everybody working together who's pro-life because in theory, in theory, Rome, right? But again, this is like what really helps the Antichrist is to look like light and be darkness. It really helps him a lot. So he puts on the veneer, he holds all the treasures, and then he gives, he holds it under lock and key. And this is the, this is the Reformation complaint from the start. Right, what you got is a big, big smokescreen that is, in fact, built upon the foundations, like the tombstones of the, of the apostles, as if those tombstones matter more than what they taught, and sits on those tombstones and tramples on their grave with its idolatry. Again, anybody before the 1940s who was a Christian and not a Catholic knew this, just knew this. Yeah. And you're like, well, there are old people who are done. Okay, sure. Right. Yeah. Have fun when we can't eat. We'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that kind of thing. Golly. Um, let's go. Let's go to something a little more, uh, I don't know, spontaneous. There I say. Uh, Shep Fisk, the mad Christian. Uh, last week you mentioned your deeper dive into CCM. Like, like by deep dive, what I mean is I went hard one day to find as many palatable by ear things that I could and then I have proceeded to study that for the sake of both its form as media content, its form as art, right? And its form as theological statement or confession. And, um, and so, you know, this has been um, pretty intentional and with a, a, a real rigor. So I just let me put that out there. I'm not just kind of like, oh, I'm bored. Right? It's, it's not quite that it. Uh, so although you found a significant amount there that saddened you and indeed... And I'm just talking artistically. I didn't even get to the theology yet. I mean, just bad music. There's so much bad music. Oh, heavens. Um, it's like, I mean, Thomas Kincaid looks okay in like an office, right? 
Um, so anyway, uh, although you found, you mentioned having found some songs you found worthwhile. I struggle with being biased against CCM. You really have good reason to be. So I, I'm not going to go on an apologetic for why you should not be biased against CCM. If you don't want the leaven, don't go near the leaven. I mean, it's, it's, it's that easy, right? The trick is, what if you find a you know piece of meat down in the bottom of the pile of leaven at the you know the local Radio Shack um, and whatnot? So, Radio Shack. <laughs> Uh, so you ask, would I be willing to share those songs, uh, for your own explorations? Thanks for all the work and prayer. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do something more. We're even going to look at one of them here. We're, we're going to listen to it. We're going to do a little, what do we got? Praise, con- praise song cruncher. It's not really my tool. And I don't know if I'm going to do it quite as cool as those boys at table talk do, but, um, but we're going to do some, some looking at that here, assuming I get the tech to work. So I had, I wrote down the four that I was willing to share. Um, I, I cannot say that, uh, let me preface this. Like, this is about music that I like would play while I drive or listen to in the shop or amazingly listen to right before I would do something more liturgical and pious for private prayer. Um, and uh, they are not, nor do I think they shall ever belong in something properly termed a divine service. But as I'm going to talk about here, this is part of the problem. Our nomenclature is so tulip, but not tulip, as the Marines would say it, beyond recognition, that we really end up talking past each other in most of these arguments. We're all pressing on different things, some of which are good, some of which are idols, and often a mishmash of them. And you know, of these, I've said this before publicly, and it's completely true. The biggest problem is that revivalism has created a sacrament out of the singing of the music. It is not merely believing in the potency of praising God according to his promises. Would that it were, for then indeed it would be biblical. But from the beginning, this zeitgeist, this Phineast, Methodistic, Wesleyan concept has been about American salesmanship, and the manipulation of the psyche through more and more potent measures of technology, of which Finney himself said, good music is the best I've found so far. And so to, to see and to replace the Spirit of God and His presence, according to Jesus' final words of institution on the night when He was betrayed, with the strumming of a few chords and the idea that somehow harmonies and singing are where the spirit functions primarily, um, that is a great evil and one that every church on this planet would do well to repent of where they find it and stay as far away from as possible, for it is the devil's own milk. Huh? Now, with that said, I mean, guitars are beautiful. And um, I, I really, I really love, oh man, when I the music I was listening to before I just went on this CCM deep dive thing study um, experience uh, was largely you know epic instrumental rock, so it's not rock, it's not even rock at all. But what it is is symphony, but like written as if there's electricity available and more instruments than just the old ones, and that ability to combine the musicians that are there who want to make music into the music, that's cool. That's glorious. And so this notion that the only way to come to receive the words and sacraments of Jesus 
are by like the glorified bagpipe in the back that's louder than the 25 people that are there and played very slowly or without change in tempo um, according to uh, the will of someone who just will do it. And um, and to, to say that this is uh, the only way and that uh, any congregation that would would sing differently or with a different instrument um, is is therefore apostate and without the spirit of God uh, is just tramples on the Osberg confession. If you're a Lutheran, that uh, the gospel and uh, the sacraments are to be the same, not not the rights per se. And no, I'm not advocating changing the rights. <laughs> I'm just saying that like you advocating that the rights are the final uh, barrier and that the right is the organ. <laughs> uh, you're the Pope at this point, right? You're, you're creating rituals and ascribing righteousness to them. So you're on the other side, right? There's This horse has got us falling off of every edge of it. And in the meantime, what we have is either people, we have, we have Lutherans, I mean, if we're going to talk Lutherans, we've got Lutherans who sing but don't know their theology, and then we've got Lutherans who don't know their theology, and, and some of them do, but most of them don't, and then they don't sing. Or they sing, they sing the hymns, but they don't really pay attention to the words, right? And, and so you have this other problem of ignorance that's going on underneath liturgical congregations. And until the individual families in their heads wake up and start talking about the Bible in their home, it's going to be like that. So that's where, like, to argue about which one we're doing, as if that's the thing that's going to change everything, this is to fall into Finney's play. So either you're going to do the new measures or you're going to not do the new measures because you believe that's going to save the church. I'm sorry. The Lord's Supper is going to save the church. The scriptures being read and preached is going to save the church, no matter what other hootenanny you got going on around it, good or evil. Golly, you know? And so, like, like that's where I'm at in this thing. It's like, and, and so, um, let me try to put it in a nomenclature moment. Nomenclature, words. You got to know what words are if you like the Bible. And, you, and even if you're oral and don't get to, get to read it, you hear these words. Nomenclature. Here's the challenge. And this is a Lutheranism challenge. And I'll go on record with Wolfmuller. He, he can stand by me. That Lutheranism is not really what we ever meant to be. <laughs> uh, Lutheranism is, is maybe not good at all. Right? One of the problems of Lutheranism is our, our hunger for orthodoxy, which is Good. I mean, Berean, right? You want to be the Bereans. Uh, our hunger for orthodoxy, for the solidarity of Scripture, and our, our passion for the centrality of Jesus as the only way, the only truth, and the only life, has caused us to engage on a quest to protect these things. That's not a problem. The problem is the tactic. Okay, so the tactic of how to protect the orthodoxy of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think we'll do that by not saying any words that people who say wrong words about Jesus or the Bible say. And so when their words get said and they're, they're diluted, when the word goes bad, we stop saying it. Now, let me give you a couple examples here. And I'm not talking about like whether or not you, pastor, in your office will affirm this doctrine. I'm talking about whether people talk, whether any of us talk. Well, I don't know where to start. There's two in my mind right now. Um, the one that keeps coming to mind is from one of these songs. Boy's singing, I'm born again. He's singing, I'm born again, top of his lungs. Now you'd be like, well, yeah, he's a Pentecostal. He thinks the Spirit's working through the music and therefore he's going to hell. Yeah, you know what though? He's confessing Jesus and he says he's born again. I think he believes in Jesus and feels pretty good about it. I agree with him because it's what the Bible says happens to us. 
We're born again. I'm a born again Christian. Lutherans don't say that. The Bible says that. Why don't Lutherans say that? Because somebody says it wrong. So whenever someone says it wrong, Lutherans don't say it. And that's where we are, like 100 years deep right now. Yikes. There's so much Bible we don't believe because someone says it wrong. So let's go with what they really got us to stop doing by having this revivalism morph into contemporary, morph into praise and worship. Praise and and worship. I'll just tell you what my experience was. I went to the seminary as a revivalist who knew Jesus in praise and worship. I left the seminary as a liturgist who loved the sacrament and had lost the words praise and worship. Lost the words. Because praise and worship is a bad thing. We don't want that at a Lutheran church. And I really agree when I mean contemporary music revivalism that swallows the gospel and removes the sacrament from the church over the course of a generation. I really mean you don't want that in the church. That means, as Lutherans, therefore, we have churches without any praise and worship, and we do that diligently and with full principle. And we'll even get angry at people online about how bad praise and worship is. Don't praise and worship the true God. It's bad because other people do it wrong. You feel me yet? How many words are we going to let them take? I mean, this this particular battle isn't the battle I want to fight. That's why I'm listening. I'm giving some credit to the other side. And frankly, people from Bethel, Bethel, are telling me about grace in Jesus when I haven't heard it much. So it's nice. And I'm praying for them, for their repentance, whatever heterodoxies they have. I, I, I am told Bethel is horrible. It probably, I don't know. Roseboro's the pro on this, and I'll trust Roseboro on his assessment of the whole thing. Does that mean there's no Christians in Bethel? Does that mean not a single? Does that mean a heterodox person in Bethel can't accidentally write what the Bible says to music really well, and then it in fact is a great song? Or are we Donatists? Oh, oh, oh! And I even wrote this down like a week ago. But yes, liturgical confessional Lutheran, Lutheranism. You are Donatists. Um, you are. Uh, I think that's the, the the heresy that straddles this horse. That's the heresy that straddles this horse. And uh, those ancient heresies, man, they're, they're worth digging into. They're worth digging into. Uh, that's another project for another time. So what I'm going to do now, again, that was my caveat. What I'm going to do now is say, uh, the song I put on first every morning, and I might for the rest of my life. I don't know. I mean, I do listen to music that way. I like day playlists. It's kind of what I do. Long stretches every day. Form a clock. It works pretty good. Um but I, I'm learning now. First thing uh, is Zach Williams' um, uh, Chainbreaker. Chainbreaker. And there's, you know, there's a couple of lines in there you could bicker with. He says, uh, here's the one. Here's the one Lutherans would be. He's just like, if you believe it, you're like, oh, decision theology, it's bad. Okay, but we're supposed to believe it, right? Yeah, okay, okay. If you receive it, if you receive it, he says. Now, the next line I would disagree with, and if you, if you feel it, in fact, I sing uh, if you see it rather than if you feel it, but uh, if you receive it, I mean, the Lutheran is just going to jump right on this, right? Like, oh, well, this is the decision theology at its worst, and it probably, in fact, is, as he's saying it, that you must enact the power of the will to engage the Holy Spirit after the age of accountability, and if you don't do this, then, well, then you haven't really become a Christian, right? Uh, you aren't born again. And that's some of the born-again language. That's why people shy away from that language. Is This can be very detrimental to the soul. 
You really can't. Uh, over time, and especially if you're not aware of the grace, what I like about Zach Williams, he's got grace all the way through these songs. So, so you can you can you can you can you can bicker with his phrase if you receive it, and you can rightly judge and condemn through apologetics how he probably is wrong. Or you can remember that John one verse twelve says to those who believed in him, to those who received him. I think it's, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name. There it is. To those who received him. To those who received him. If you receive it, he says. And we say you can't say that decision theology that John says if you receive him. And so suddenly we're stuck condemning the Bible. That's what the Pharisees did. That's how the Pharisees did it. We want to be careful in our repentance post-2020 for we have been woken up for good reason. But let's, again, let's be wise Let's be wise. So if you believe it, if you receive it, I've made the case, First John 1, 12, I think it's 12, um, uh, has this language here. But what really got me and what really makes me angry at the Lutherans and just how swift we are, the Lutheranism, I should say, what makes me angry at the Lutheranism in me and how swift my heart is to say, <gasps> decision theology, which is wrong, but it doesn't have to be like shouted at every time it's there. Like the person's just ignorant. They're still saved. Um, it, we, we have more understanding. We, we could be patient and just lead them along since they're so ignorant as to think they're saving themselves. But instead we like yell at them. Like that's the, like that's the loving way to, t- anyway. Um, if you believe it, if you receive it. Now, if you go to the Lord's Supper, don't tell me you don't receive it. And don't tell me it's not possible to just go ahead and say, if you believe it, if you receive it, if you can see it, Somebody testify. And there's the word too. Oh no, it's testimony time. End of the service. I got to do an altar call. Okay. Or that's what the pastor does. It's what everybody does when they say like, hey, Jesus has risen to each other. God's peace to you today. What'd you think about the Bible study today? I've been reading this at home. What are you reading at home? Let's have a conversation. Have some discipline in Jesus, right? Like, like, but instead, right? Instead, we jump on the word testify. I, Lutheranism in me jumps on testify. Oh, it's a bad word. It's the testimony, the confession that this is the main, the witness, the primary word of the New Testament. And yet because of all the nonsense of mission minded conglomerate American gobbling of, of our industry and our efforts over the last hundred years for the sake of their game plan, their casino. Now we're losing it all. And it was all done by using this word mission. And so suddenly now, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about mission. Now, all these words the devil uses, it makes it hard to talk about them. But let me suggest that that's the white noises game too. You need a tribal language. You need to shut off the inputs. You need to have what you say be what you mean. And let me tell you, the Bible's where to start. Bible's where to start. So with that then, if you find yourself listening to rock and roll that just happens to sing the words from the Bible, even if the person who wrote it is wrong, if you know it's right, if you know it's from the Bible, it's not wrong. He might be wrong. The devil was wrong when he quoted the scriptures at Jesus, but those scriptures still applied to the very conversation, in fact. So, I mean, you feel me again? I'm not off the deep end on this. However, I do want to jam for sure, because jamming is just good. <laughs> it's just, I missed that. That was a long time ago. I missed that. Okay, so so what I'm going to do here is take a few moments and just not make much sense as I uh, get us through a few places and try to get us 
to where I think I got this lined up. And uh, the question is going to be, we're going to look at the lyrics. Um, oh, man, that's interesting. Uh, and I'm like totally backers. We're going to listen to uh, one song. It's called He Is by Crowder. And assuming that this will come through uh, on, on it. So we'll see here. And what I'm going to do is praise song crunch this, right? So what we're going to do is we're just going to listen to it as a um, uh, as the text goes. Um, I may talk about the music over the top of it. The goal here is not really to listen to the song, but I'm going to kind of show you why I find this song to be not something I would call contemporary Christian music, uh, nor nor would I call it praise and worship, properly speaking, either. Um, I would just call this a song about Jesus that some guy wrote because he got saved and it means something to him. And his confession of faith, like unto that book of Concord of 1580, not quite on par with it, historically speaking, but as a brother, all the same, that means something to me. And I'm not so sure it's good for me to harbor in my heart ill will toward him because of his heterodoxy. Hmm. Now, especially when he gives me such joy. Now, here's the question. Um, will will uh, the music actually play when I do this? This This is the question. Here we go. Looks like it. So the honey here... Oh, wait, where am I? There we go. The honey here, I think, is uh, the idea that there is... If you're troubled, <laughs> oh. come to Jesus oh. and find your peace. All right, I'm having a lot of trouble with the controls here, trying to figure out where stuff's going on. So, the honey is about, uh, I think, one of his other songs that I do enjoy. I'm still listening to this one repeatedly. Um, I, I haven't memorized the words yet, so I'm not, you know, confident in every level that I can defend his orthodoxy from my heart and how I would sing it. Um, but uh, he has a song called uh, Milk and Honey, and it, it's about day of resurrection. And you might want to look that one up, too. So I'm thinking that the honey here in the background is based upon the biblical idea that the word of God is like honey, meaning it is sweet. It is natural organic, right? In the best kind of way. Um, it is tied to, uh, to creation in, uh, ways in which God provides it, right? And then it can be something which improves, uh, anything it's put into now, you know, nutrition and American sad diet, notwithstanding, uh, you know, this is a biblical idea for trusting in Jesus. Now we're going to, so I keep trying to hit, um, the Ecamm YouTube stuff as if it's the real one. Okay, here we go. So we're going to back up here again. Here's the text. If you're troubled, heavy-hearted, come to Jesus and find your peace. So the text that comes to mind to me right there is uh, when Jesus says, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, so one could quibble, I suppose, that the word rest is the word in the Bible verse. So if we truly want to sing scripture, it is good. I mean, I'm going to agree. It is good to quote uh, the text as, as closely as possible as you can to, to your translation. Unfortunately, like whose translation is what and so on. Um, so again, I don't, I'm not going to quibble here because peace, while I'm not a fan of the peaceful, peaceful easy feeling of revivalism, peace is what Jesus promises. So it's true. If you're wrong, 
So, okay, right? So, uh, same verse, I would suppose. Uh, Blessed are the poor comes to mind a little bit here. Uh, When I am weak, then I am strong comes to mind. And I know that one gets abused all over the place. So I guess we should never say it, right? Um, Or, or, I mean, is it just too cheesy for you? That's fine. That's, That's art. I'm like loving where it's going. Okay, so hope for the hopeless. That's Jesus. Rest for the weary. That's Jesus. Help for the hurting. I'm pretty sure all this is like the Bible, right? I wrote a book about that. It's like right there. That carried his cross, right? All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Right? Like lost sheep. Pierced by the light of the gospel. The way of wisdom. The way, the truth, and the life. From sin, death, and the devil. For your sins, particularly. Salvation by. Alone? I don't see how you cannot like this. I mean, you can be about, you know, the music. So you can be like, oh, it's cheesy. You know, it's, it's not like, um, no, it's, it's not new wave ska and, and it's not like grunge hard and there's no screaming. Um, but it's, I, it's rock. So I'm like waiting for the Lutheran out there watching and be like, well, all that you're needing is such a false promise. The prosperity gospel, the force for gospel, and all this stuff. Is, again, like, yeah, all those things are evil. Is that what he preached? There in that song right now on this show, is that what he preached? Are words of men so powerful that they can destroy the meaning of the words of God when the words of God are left in a vacuum? I don't think so. This is so great, this list. I believe that. That's all in the Bible. Yeah, full on. Yep. True. Mm. Eschatology. Mm. Theology and Christology. Woo. Revelation.
So, for my money, uh-oh, it's still going. I can't even talk about that one. Who's that creditor? God really loves us. Don't even know that one. <clears throat> um, for my money, that's a good part of my day. And so I don't think as a liturgical, sacramental, diehard anti-revivalist, cessationist preacher of the Bible, I have anything to be ashamed of for thinking that that like was a good way to start my morning. You know? So so uh, the four that I keep coming back to with like incessant power, where is it? Uh. The ones that I believe every time they are sung. And so therefore they fill me up a great deal. I mentioned already Chainbreaker. Um, he is, uh, that I just said right there from Crowder. One of the other ones I've really enjoyed. I mean, I don't know much about this band. Don't tread on me by we, the kingdom dear heavens. I mean, chasing the devil up a Lee is definitely old Pentecostal talk, but you know what? He will flee from you. The Bible says it. So like, it doesn't have to be up a Lee and just let it mean what the Bible says. And this is the freedom of the gospel, which Lutheranism used to be about. And that's why we were on fire not for ourselves once, right? And by a fire, I don't mean inside. I just mean, look at what the LCMS did 100 years ago. Listen to what Kuntz talks about, about how serious we were. Think about what we lost, right? And some of this is we're arguing about whether or not it's okay to praise Jesus. And some of us think it's wrong. That's a scary thing. Red Letters by Crowder has been nice. I don't know about, about the theology of that. Where's There's one other one. Um, ooh, ooh. Uh, it's the Zach Williams one, and it is called... Uh, Less of me? Things called less of me. It's basically a prayer for the uh, fruit of the Spirit. It's really, really solid stuff. So there you go. I'm out. You have me. I've, I've helped in whatever way I can. And if I am suddenly a heretic to many of you and you'll never listen to the show again, I guess that's the way it is. But uh, I am, I'm on this page where I don't care who said it wrong. If it's in the Bible, I want us to keep saying it. And I don't care who has misunderstood it. If it's in the Bible, I want us to keep saying it, right? That's, that's why I'm crazy, right? That's the definition here. So we are in Philistia. They would like us dead. We are David, the adopted son of God and kings of the future world. What shall we do? Let's obey Torah and return to our home and put the words on our walls. That is, let's scrawl it on the gates. Let's incise it on the fronts of our reality so that... It cannot be missed. And when they think the spittle in our beard <laughs> uh, is, is uh, well, when they think it's spittle in our beard, it's our tears. Now, for my part, uh, spittle too, maybe. I don't know. The spittle in the beard is, a, is the image of, uh, it doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't matter what you look like, who you are, what they call you. Because Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is risen and reigns to all eternity. And so to stand upon this word and say, I will go no further, come what may, there's a tremendous freedom. There's a todayness in that that you just don't get anywhere else except on the front lines where you might die that day. But everywhere else, right? I mean, you really can wake up every day and spend a few moments remembering there's a good chance you die today and that that's the best thing that could happen to you. You don't believe that either, do you? Ecclesiastes 7, 1 to 3. I'll just give it to you. You could die today. And it's the best thing that ever happened to you. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 to 3. Uh, it's amazing what we don't believe. Right, that the Bible is just is very clear about. But what we've done is we've constructed systems for talking about the Bible without reading the Bible. And while those systems were in defense of certain attacks in the past, we're in a very different zeitgeist right now. Again, one which is techne uh, more than it is um, ration, 
ration, right? Reason, reasonable, reasonableness. All right. So next question, uh, probably the last one for the morning here. Uh, dear Ref Fistman Christian, my girlfriend and I recently got the Pfizer COVID shots. I didn't know anything about it. And because I have been on social media or haven't been on social media or watching TV, good for you. In about a year, uh, I hadn't heard any opinions on it. Well, you need to get informed somehow. That's what Mad Christian Mondays is for. And I really recommend you sign up at revfiskenewsletter.com. Uh, revfisk.com slash newsletter or get to us to the chill and particularly get to the Captain COVID Crunch channel and us the chill where we have all sorts of people number crunching, fact crunching, information crunching, trying to find whatever news we can to keep as much of a real idea on this thing as we can as a group without any of us being the CDC because yeah, you can trust them lots, right? So there it is. Um, uh, so uh, you haven't been watching. You still need to inform yourself, and that's why we have Mad Christian Monday. So really sign up for it. Uh, I hadn't heard any opinions on it. My grandmom asked me and my girlfriend to get it so that we could see her. Um, that's how they do it. That's how they do it. It's guilt. That's how they do it. Uh, that's how the devil works. Always is guilt. Um, I hadn't been wearing a mask, and I work full-time during the whole pandemic, so I didn't really see the point of getting it, uh, but I didn't see the harm in it either. Okay, but here's your question, right? Anyway, I've been listening to you and reading on Us the Chill more about it, and I'm worried. Uh, while nothing bad has happened yet, to my knowledge, I'm worried about things like infertility or some horrible side effect in like two years because from the sound of it, this mRNA business is no good, uh, what with there being no real long-term studies of it. Yeah. Uh, it, actually, there's more here, so let me get the rest of your question. Um, we want to get married and start a family. I don't know if it's selfish because I know there are so many other Christians who have been fooled into taking the vaccine. Uh, Mason. So, but you have taken it. I think you've said here, right? And now you're nervous about having something happen to you and your family and maybe your genetic line uh, down, down the future. And, you know, what, how do you have kids if you don't know if the kids are going to have some defect or something that has to be turned on by some new, you know, thing, right? Um, I mean, it's pretty dystopic and scary when you look at everything that's being said about it, but that's why it's important to have a news source that looks at everything that's being said about it and tries to keep it all there so that you realize just because it's over here and just because it's over there and they think this and they think that, that's a lot of people trying really hard, but none of them have a scrying stone. None of them have the Bible telling them these things. None of them have full certainty of reality. Most of them believe that reality doesn't change, that there is no unseen world and that only the pragmatic effects come to pass when that is evidently not true from all of history. We're the only people in history to be so dumb as to fall prey to this. And it's largely because the people at the top haven't and they keep us under a different set of gods called. Uh, oh, where'd it go? Can I show you my art? Here's my art. There's my art. Where's oh, no, there, oh, there's my art. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, what aliens? They? <laughs> uh, so, um, all that nonsense I just read there said, your fear is justified when you look at the white noise. And so part of what we're doing on Discord is trying to look at the whole white noise together with some sort of stability, right? With some sort of shared narrative that continues, um, that isn't just moved by whatever they say or whatever the other groups that follow them do. Um, and so uh, in this way, what you're dealing with is very good. You are having an existential crisis. This is awesome. You need these. Take advantage of it while it's here and milk it for everything that it's worth. If you can cry, do it. Uh, the, the difficulty is you have realized at a young age that you might have killed yourself accidentally. Now, I'm not saying that the vaccine might do that. I, I don't have any idea. There's just too much, too much. I'm a pastor. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of like 
again, I mentioned this earlier in the show. I got a 50-50 here. I got everything keeps going normal-ish, like sort of. And then I got like, it gets real bad, right? So this would be under the, it gets real bad part that you're afraid of. And I'm, I'm not convinced that it's going to. I think it's just as likely that we're just so dumb. We don't even really know what we did. And it probably doesn't work that great. And it just won't even do much, right? Except for make money injecting, you know, baby solids into people or whatever. It's actually, mRNA is not that, right? Um, make money in playing with mRNA, playing with DNA, playing with eugenics. This being said, I mean, eugenics is the game, right? What they're doing is they're moving into what was pre-World War II, Nazi Germany, and uh, Margaret Singer, America-style foray of science, which is to believe that the human genome and the quest, for, the, the quest for immortality is in the human genome. So we will eventually be able to, uh, to breed death out. Right. And you do it by eating babies, as I, I did mention before. I, I, it's a long and ancient tradition of Baal worship here. Uh, it's always been kind of the same thing. And so, again, it shouldn't surprise us so much. Um, but but OK, so with all that potential for some sort of random crazy thing happening within the DNA eugenics experiment that's going on without any uh, like legal recourse to you if things do go wrong. And that's all true. Right. I, I, I'm, I've limited myself to saying what is actually true. Right. Which is that we don't know. And there's and that they've been absolved from any legal recourse, the companies that are doing this. Um, and uh, and that there was a giant hoopla and maybe even Trump's whole administration in order to make us willing to do this um, as a people. And they banked on the TV being able to convince us and they were right. And so, you know, that's where I'm at. But like margarine, margarine's bad for you and, and it, it killed people, um, but they also kind of realized it and, and it gradually worked its way out and it, it wasn't as bad. Like you could have margarine, it doesn't kill you immediately. It's like if you, if you eat it like it's, you know, jelly, you're gonna, you're gonna die. Um, and so uh, similarly, this may just be nothing, right? So step back in your existential crisis and remember, remember a couple things. Remember that you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. Jesus Christ directs your feet both venture and retreat from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 121, please look it up, write it down. Last verse, I have my own translation, but last verse, Psalm 121, last verse. Uh, Jesus Christ directs your steps. So even when you've done wrong, it's not like he didn't know and allow you that much leash so that you could turn around and be like, I need to be saved, right? And so there you are, right? One more of those moments today for you. Great, right? This is good. This is life. And mercies are new every morning. Um, since he directs your feet, since even your sins, which you mean for evil, he will turn for good. And this is the election of providence and actually the election of, of uh, New Testament spirit blowing our wills too, working together through time and space to make all of this regeneration of the entire cosmos happen. Since he's got that covered, you actually don't have to worry about the future that much now. Let me take that back. You actually don't have to worry about the future at all. You are supposed to concern your heart and your mind with today. And then today, you are supposed to repent of whatever you know was wrong. And then remember that you're God's son anyway, and he knew that, and he's, he's waiting on you. He's looking, he's got his eye on you, and he's proud. Keep going, get up, do again. Do one better, right? So you're a son now. Huh? And so... Um, uh, <laughs> lost the thought lost the thought i'll get it back here um from the perspective that you are a son walk through today and then whatever stories come about tomorrow try put him through the filter of your religion a little bit here right pretend like tomorrow is a matter of religious prophecy and anything that's going to come tomorrow if you're going to say it's going to come tomorrow or the next day is a prophecy since you don't know if jesus is coming back like in 15 minutes or tomorrow or tonight right 
So, so uh, instead of saying, I will go do this or that, let us say if the Lord wills, right? Don't just make this about, well, I have to say that sometimes. It's about a perspective. It's about a way of seeing how far ahead you can actually run realistically in your heart and do anything about it. Now, you're talking to a guy who wants to put things in the water for the next 100 to 500 years. Sons of Solomon, if you heard of it. But, but that doesn't, <laughs> so it's not that you can't plan. But you can't plan. You can only pray. So instead of worrying, instead of dreaming, and instead of planning, praying guarantees you remember your sonship, right? You remember that the wisdom of God has been given to you for just this moment, that you might pray to him and ask him not only for the salvation you desire, whatever that might be, but then also for his will to be done at the end and that you will be brought to understand and be glad in that will. And you may know that the answer is yes. Because that's always how he answers that prayer, right? So that if you're not going to get exactly what you're asking for, because it is in fact his will for your life and you're asking for it because you see the scriptures and know what they say anyways, you're not going to use it for your flesh, you're using it for the sake of your life in Christ, the economy of your family in your neighborhood as part of your locality, part of the church throughout the world, all these kinds of things. Um, But you also know that if you get something else, that that's the right thing because you know that's what he's going to give you is the right thing. So now here you are with this suffering, having been pricked by the poisonous tongue of the serpent, lest you would forget. When I... When I'm in a flashback, which I want to do a flashback uh, Thursday night. I can tell you about it. It's pretty simple, really. Uh, I went out to the garage for a minute. Our table for the family table is like right by the garage. And uh, I went out to the garage for just a moment. Uh, I said that uh, I would be back. However, I have a, I have a problem. Um, I am ashamed, generally. And uh, this is, again, part of uh, what's called by most people complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, long story. But uh, as a result of being ashamed, I don't, I don't speak loud enough. Like if you introduce yourself to me and you don't know me, and you ask my name, I'll say Jonathan and I'll think I said it, but you'll hear like Jonathan. You know, you, you, I'll, it'll run off. Um, so there's a shame factor in my speaking. So I walked out of the garage and I said, I'll be right back. But I didn't. I probably said something like, I'll be right no, I don't know. I hear what I hear, not what they hear. What happened next was very simple. Everyone went outside. It was a beautiful night. Uh, they went to grab the ducks. We got some new ducklings. It's kind of nice. And, uh, and they went outside. And, um, but I came back into the, the room and uh, I have a couple of triggers. I know, I know going into a yellow kitchen <laughs> definitely flashes me back. Uh, and then I know that, uh, I mean, generally the kitchen and dinner table are, are a trouble point for me. Um, and then what happened was I left and there were six people at the table. And three minutes later, I walked back and there were zero and I saw nothing and nobody. And I was immediately, immediately kind of as deep as I get as deep as I get. The cool thing is that, I mean, I, I'm not even sure I'm out of this flashback yet. Um, it's, it's been long and hard, but the amazing thing, and so this, I'm saying this for those of you who have this, the toolbox, the toolkit that you got in, uh, in uh, Peter Walker's work, you know, strip away the Hinduism and just look at those 13 steps and those how to silence the crit- critic chapters. Um, and those tools as a toolbox uh, have dramatically changed this experience for me. I don't know that it's exactly fun uh, for anybody, um, but what it is is very, very much more calm than it was. The, the storm the storm can be seen and does not have to be reacted to. Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, think about just when you lose your temper. It's not unlike that. It is not that, but it's not unlike that, right? You lose your temper. What happens to everybody when they lose their temper 
as they go into fight or flight. Why? Because anger is part of the human body's methodology of defending itself from attack. Injustice is stopped by return justice, which anger is sort of the emotion of justice. Um, Sort of. Uh, So you get angry. And uh, at the injustice, you feel you need to defend yourself. Your body enters into fight or flight, which moves all the blood away from your head into your muscles so that you can run from the tiger. But when that happens, then your blood away from your head, pumping through your heart, your emotions are still flux. And every thought is connected to those emotions more than itself. You, know, you don't think in a vacuum. You think in a black box filled with a sea of emotion. And they work together, you would hope. Um, sometimes, sometimes they're at odds with each other, right? So when you've lost your temper, your emotions are definitely running the show and your intellect is just along as a tool and your mouth, right? Just kind of becomes a tool for whatever the emotion says. And there's where you can see your carnal man really at, at work, right? I mean, you've heard what's come out of your own mouth. I mean, you can think of one, right? You're like, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not talking about poo poo papa or any, all the, any of that stuff. I'm talking about what you say to people like cuts them, cuts them, you know? Um, so and, and you, when you rise up and, and you, you know, you've, not not ventilate, but vent, right? Uh, venting. Uh, so, you know, that, that anger that happens, uh, that's like what a flashback is like. Um, and the toolkit, again, uh, is, is a set of steps. I think most people who would use this toolkit, if you wanted to, you could find a way to do it. Mindfulness is like this, too. But it's a set of steps for effectively noticing that it's happened before anything comes out of your mouth, right? So imagine if every time you lost your temper... You had like a little dinging meter. They're like, temper, temper, temper. And you could be like, oh, time to shut up. Till the meter goes off. You just just shut up. And then the meter goes off. Oh, I can talk again. My brain's back, right? My heart's back. It's, it's kind of like that. But that's the muscle you have to train. And the training of that muscle is literally to ignore what your body's telling you. So your body's going to send you all these signals about how bad things. And again, when you're in a temper tantrum, right? Same thing. Uh, so it's not unlike that. It's like a really progressed and complicated version of it. Um, but uh, uh, it's complex. First sentence of the book. It's complex. Um, the ability to look upon the internal storm of your emotions in the storm and have the intellect that is outmatched in terms of its ability to manage the mo- mouth does not mean that the intellect is unable to manage stopping the mouth and moving into intentional relaxation techniques to try to get the blood back to the brain. And perhaps most importantly, um, to move into thought about the process, which remembers the history of the trauma and applies it to the scenario uh, so that you might um, uh, what uh, deescalate. So for the temper again, uh, so you know, you're mad at somebody who's your friend, right? And then you have to say intellectually to yourself, this is my friend. Why am I mad at this person? I should just remember this person always has my best interest in mind. They couldn't possibly have meant what they meant, right? So the, the CPTSC person has to do that like constantly. And, uh, uh, but it, you can. <laughs> that's, so, so if you're wrestling with this, you know, that, that's, that's it. You can't. You can't. It's not fun. It's not easy. It's really painful. Um, it does get differenter, which I will declare at the moment to be better. Although, so where I'm at right now, since it's just vent time and we're after 11, 
Um, like I mentioned, like I may, I may be one for two days. I don't know. Uh, I definitely have been as whether I, I still am at this morning. Um, it's, it's hard because what happens again is the emotions are like not where they should be. So whenever I'm on the show, I'm all adrenalized anyway. And so once I get off the show, I have to spend time like just pulling it back. Um, but what I'm, what I'm aiming for and what I'm hoping is happening because I know it's a, a physiological reality. What I'm aiming for, uh, is, uh, it's got a notification. Uh, I'm aiming for an intentional diminishing of my permanent fight or flight stasis. Um, so CPTSD, everyone who's in it has sort of a permanent level of this going on. And then you have the flashbacks. So I'm, I'm, you know, the flashbacks are what they are, but, but I'm using them, I think. And so in some ways I don't, I don't know. I, I, what I want is to breathe back into just relaxation. I just want to, I, I want to tell my body, I want to train my mind to tell my body that the storm is a lie. And this is where it's like beneficial for everybody. Like, golly, wouldn't that be nice? It's yeah. And it's not as tough as you would think it acknowledge, it has to, you have to acknowledge the internal reality of your, of yourself though, right? Do you have an inner life? Do you have a carnal man? You have to acknowledge the carnal man. And, uh, maybe this is kind of the toolkit a little bit for those who are not where I'm at, which would be that, you know, the next time you feel the heat, the next time you feel the rush, the next time you feel the rage, whether it's against the TV or somebody else, um, check on your carnal man before you talk, be like, who's, Who's feeling stuff right now? And, and what are these emotions? And um, how do they run through, you know, uh, being a little more like Jesus? You know, and it's what would Jesus do? <laughs> no, the movement was wrong, and yet the movement was right. Um, Jesus is our archetype. Jesus is our king and master. The disciple does want to be like Jesus. And so, you know, again, we scoff like Jesus as if it's a bad theology. No, the bad theology was connected to it. And so as a result, we've lost the ability to talk about it. But uh, what you really want is to be more like Jesus, right? Mary, Martha, and all that. Uh, gladly seeing who is who and meeting them where they are. So, yeah, uh, that's a bit of a wandering way into that. I don't know if it really answered any particular questions, uh, but it, it helped me process some stuff today. Um, goodness gracious here. Let's see. What can we do? Can we come over here like this and say, um, yeah, so coming to you live from Rockford, Mad Christian, Saturday morning chill. Glad to be here. If you want to support me and help this going, you can come by visit, like I said, or you can get on Patreon. Uh, Patreon is the way that the money goes around for me, particularly. Uh, go to patreon.com slash revfisk and $1.25 a week, $5 a week or more if you like. That's what makes uh, the ship go around. I don't know that I have it in me for many more. See, this now this is like my like, I hate my posture. I really hate my posture. I've hated it for a long time. It's just hard. It's hard. And then like, I'm not used to, I don't want to talk in front of like that, right? That's no good. Thanks for being here. We'll catch y'all next week. Make sure you're checking out a brief history of power. Get on the Mad Christian Mondays. Find us on the Discord. I'll be checking in sometime later this afternoon to see what goes on in the Saturday morning chill after party. Um, feel free to chime in there. And otherwise, you all stand upon the ruins with your head lifted high and don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Rock on.
Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>